Today, from Philip DeCourcy on Know the Truth. James Madison, known as the father of the Constitution, he stated, before any man can be considered as a member of civil society, he must be considered as a subject of the governor of the universe. These men understood as they thought about this young emerging nation that righteousness will exalt it, sin and shameful living will bring it down. These days, it's popular to believe the crossroads of religion and state should never intersect. But today on Know the Truth, we'll find that morality is crucial for successful government. Philip DeCourcy is teaching from the book of Proverbs and drawing practical principles for electing good leaders. Visit ktt.org for more resources related to this study. Perhaps you've been looking for clarity as it relates to this important issue. Well, we're glad you're listening today. So here's Philip DeCourcy with a message called for God and country. A young French uh, politician visited the United States in its early days. He had come to examine our prisons and our penitentiaries on behalf of the French government. But as he was here, he became intrigued by our system of government and its institutions and spent some considerable time analyzing life in the United States. As he left, he took with him this abiding impression of this fledgling, emerging young nation. These are his own words. America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Those are the words of Alexis de Tocqueville. And they're right. And they echo the wisdom of Proverbs 14.34. Righteousness exalts a nation but sin is a reproach to any people. America is great because America is good. But if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. We need to be reminded of that. Let us not forget what was the bedrock to those blessings. It was a commitment to goodness. It was a commitment to moral righteousness on behalf of our leaders and the people of this nation. But I fear that America is ceasing to be good. America is ceasing to be good because in America today, some species of birds have more protection under the law than the unborn child in its mother's womb. In America today, we are harvesting the unborn for medical experiments, much like the Nazis did in the Second World War. In America today, Christian symbols such as the cross are being removed from city logos in places like Los Angeles and San Diego. In America today, we celebrate Christmas and Easter without mentioning Christ. In America today, our children say the Pledge of Allegiance about being one nation under God, then they sit down in their classroom, and are taught the evolutionary hypothesis which teaches them that life has no point and history has no meaning. In America today, marriage is being redefined to mean one man and another man, or two women, not one man and one woman. In America today, the same Supreme Court 
that meets under the Ten Commandments itself has banned it from our schools for fear of what it might produce in the children that read it. Let me read you part of the decision from the Supreme Court that banned the posting of the Ten Commandments on the walls of the schools of Kentucky. Quote, Last looking upon them from day to day, the students should be moved to obey them. What a tragedy to teach our children not to steal, to be faithful in marriage, to respect other people's property, to protect the sanctity of life. What a tragedy that they would learn such things from such a threatening document. America is ceasing to be good, wouldn't you agree? And in ceasing to be good, we will cease to be great. These are dangerous days for our nation. And we need to go to the ancient wisdom of the book of Proverbs to remind ourselves that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Faced with the tragedy and the transgression we are facing in our culture, our country needs to look to the wisdom of the book of Proverbs, and we need to heed its counsel as it regards issues of political leadership and social order. If you'll remember back to our opening study in the book of Proverbs, you will remind yourself that this very book has a political audience. This was a book that was written to the young princes of Israel. This is a book that was written to the emerging leadership of Israel, telling them how to conduct themselves both nationally and internationally. And page one of the political manifesto, according to the book of Proverbs, is the thought that good government begins with leaders recognizing God's rule over their rule. Let's go back to Proverbs 8 and verse 15, and you'll see this. Good leaders are led by God. Proverbs 8 verse 15, by me, says God, kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, all the judges of the earth. Godly leaders and good leaders understand that political success and political stability involves a commitment to righteousness. It is righteousness that exalts a nation. For obedience to God's law invites God's blessing. It is a moral and God-fearing government that produces strength and stability and smiles within a nation. Look at Proverbs 11, verses 10 through 11. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there is jubilation. By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. Go on to Proverbs 29 and verse 2, and again we'll underscore this idea. Proverbs 29, verse 2, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when a wicked man rules, the people groan. When a nation is good, following the wisdom of God's law, a nation will be great. When the righteous are in authority, calling the people to righteousness, the city prospers. You see, the strength of a nation lies in its leaders and citizenry, walking in uprightness, standing for truth and justice, reaching out in mercy, bowing in reverence, and kneeling in submission to God. Sinful and shameful living weakens a nation. The book of Proverbs wants us to know that whatever form of government we have, it must be moral government. Whether it's a theocracy or a democracy, or a plutocracy. It must be a moral government. Government serves no good purpose 
if good is not its purpose. For righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And I want to look at a few things from the book of Proverbs that will help us think about exalting righteousness in our nation. But before I get there, I want to remind you this very thought of righteousness, according to God's law, exalting a nation. This was the very reference point for the framers and visionaries of this great nation, those that wrote the Constitution. History tells us, although our school children aren't hearing this, that our Constitution was prayed over. Benjamin Franklin called those in Philadelphia to take some time to pray to our powerful friend. The early leaders of this nation understood the relationship between good government and biblical morality. In not wanting a church state, they were not inferring a separation of God from government. The modern rush to evacuate anything Christian or biblical from the public square would be foreign to our founding fathers. They understood that God is sovereign over every king that God turns the heart of the king whatsoever way he wishes, and therefore he must rule the rulers, and his law must guide the people under those rulers. Righteousness will exalt a nation, but sin will bring it crashing down. Listen to these words from John Adams, the second president of the United States. He declared, quote, Our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to govern it any other way. I hope America's listening. We cannot have our constitution. We cannot have our Bill of Rights, except we understand it in the framework of biblical morality, where we acknowledge God as our King and Lord. Listen to Thomas Jefferson, author of our Declaration of Independence. He said this, God who gave us life gave us liberty. Can the liberties of a nation be secure when we have removed the conviction that these liberties are a gift from God? One more quote, James Madison, the fourth president of the United States, known as the father of the Constitution, he stated, quote, before any man can be considered as a member of civil society, he must be considered as a subject of the governor of the universe. These men understood as they prayed and as they wrote and as they thought about this young emerging nation that righteousness will exalt it. Sin and shameful living will bring it down. America must be a moral people. Its government must be a moral government. We need to be a people and a government that recognize God's place, that every inch of this earth, including this great land, is His. And we want to recognize His place among us. Therefore, I want to study this subject of for God and country from the perspective of the book of Proverbs. I want to help you to act in America's best interest by pointing to three things, maybe we'll only cover two, that the book of Proverbs encourages you to pursue and promote. By the way, I hope you're interested in promoting the prosperity of this nation. Christians ought to be good and involved citizens. It's interesting to me that in Jeremiah 29 verse 7, Jeremiah tells the exiled people of God in Babylon to seek the prosperity of the city. You and I ought to seek the prosperity and the peace of this nation. And we know the secret is this, righteousness. Number one, we ought to elect righteous leaders. Number two, we ought to enact righteous laws. And number three, we ought to effect righteous lives. 
What about electing righteous leaders? That will promote righteousness. After all, leaders make laws. If the leaders are righteous, we hope that the laws will be righteous. And if the laws are righteous and people seek to live within those laws, prosperity comes. We have a safe and prosperous society as much as is possible this side of the fall. This was certainly the heartbeat of the authors of the book of Proverbs. The gains that had been made under David and Solomon were to be secured, protected by a new generation of moral and godly leaders. There was always the clear and present danger that their blessings and their birthright could be squandered by faithless leadership and foolish leadership. Therefore, these young princes are addressed throughout this book, and they are reminded of their responsibility to God and to the people. And so if you study the book of Proverbs, you'll find a progressive profile of the character and conduct of a person fit for government office. By the way, as we quickly look at some qualities and characteristics, we are going to see that the book of Proverbs hits on the head this silly notion that's so prevalent in America today that it doesn't matter what your leader is in private. As if you can separate character from conduct. You have to be a good man to be a good leader. That's just the way it is. And the book of Proverbs reminds us of the fact that a leader must be what he should be if he would do what he must do. But let me run through a list of qualities and characteristics that you must bear in mind if you're voting. Or if you want to serve this city or serve this state or even serve this nation, these are the things that God wants to find in you and we want to find in you. Number one, leaders fear God first. Leaders fear God first. Good rulers know that they are men under authority. We read in Proverbs 8 verse 15, by me, says God, rulers reign. Judges passes laws. Good leaders are led by God. They seek God's counsel in prayer. They surround themselves with spiritual leaders who will show them God's law and its applications, just like we have here in the book of Proverbs. Folks, think about this. We want those who make the decisions for us to have first made a decision for God because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. How can our leaders be wise? Because the fool says in his heart, there is no God. It's the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And you and I should look to leaders to fear God, to understand the relationship between God and government, who understand that it is righteousness that exalts a nation, who understands that there will come a day when the nations that forget God will be cast into hell, Psalm 9, verse 17. And we want men who don't forget God. We want men who remind us of God. Leaders fear God first. Leaders seek to be sexually pure. Over in Proverbs 31 and verse 3, we have the words of King Lemuel's mother to him, do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. Family is the cornerstone of a stable society. Therefore, leaders ought to be the kind of people who protect marriage, are faithful to their wives, and their examples to their children. This verse is a warning against the debilitating effects of adultery within government. Leaders should fear God. Leaders should seek to be sexually pure. Leaders, thirdly, don't abuse alcohol or other drugs. 
Look at verses 4 and 5 of the same passage, Proverbs 31. Is it not for kings, O Lemuel, is it not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted? Now, this is not a prohibition to drinking in terms of government officials, because verses 6 and 7 go on to say, Give strong drink to him who is perishing, and wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. It would have been unheard of in Solomon or David's day for a king not to have had a wine cellar. But what this verse is reminding the king is this, that they are never to succumb to drunkenness because it will lead to a dereliction of duty. It will lead to a perverting of the law. The mind that is clouded with alcohol will become befuddled. No leader can make a sober judgment under the influence of alcohol or some other drug. And so this word encourages us to look for certain qualities in our leaders. We ought to look for reverence for God. We ought to look for sexual purity and fidelity within marriage. We ought to look for a man who exercises self-control in the area of alcohol. Fourthly, leaders select wise counselors. Leaders select wise counselors. Listen to Proverbs 15, verse 22. Without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Proverbs 24 and verse 6 is another example of what we're talking about. For by wise counsel, you will wage your own war, and in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. You can tell a lot by the company a man keeps. And a good leader, a godly leader, will surround himself with good and strong advisors. He knows his weaknesses. He knows that he's not the complete package. He wants his ideas to be challenged and scrutinized so that they can be made better or be exchanged for better ideas. We ought to be looking for leaders who select wise counselors. This is important because a leader directs us and his advisors direct him. Therefore, we should be just as interested in them as we are in him. Fifthly, leaders get to the bottom of the issues. According to God's word, anyone who makes a rash decision without diligently searching out the facts surrounding the case in hand is a fool. By contrast, the wise ruler will search out a matter. He doesn't want to fall foul to gossip. He doesn't want to become the victim of a fabrication on behalf of his advisors. And so he will seek to have the best, the most honest, the most trustworthy advisors he can find. And along with them, he will seek out the facts. He will want to know clarity on the issues. He will want to get to the bottom of the matter. Look at Proverbs 25 and verse 2, and you'll see what I'm talking about here. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of a king is to search out a matter. God knows everything. Some things he tells us, some things he doesn't. The secret things belong to the Lord. The open things belong to us. And it's the responsibility of a godly king and a good leader to seek to investigate everything, to seek to understand divine government and God's ways as much as is possible, and then to come to a clear and intelligible decision. On the local level, that will involve him being in touch with his constituents. 
And any good or godly leader will handle that well, and he will become dependent upon people in the sense that he will listen to people. He will love his people. Listen to Proverbs 14, verse 28. In a multitude of people is a king's honor, but in the lack of people is the downfall of a prince. In the best sense, a leader ought to enjoy popular support. He is seen as wise. He is known as just. He is considered fair, and therefore he enjoys the support and the respect of the people. Someone has said that a leader, if he is not careful, can get so far out in front of his people that they will mistake him for the enemy. But a good leader doesn't do that. These young men in the court of Hezekiah, in the court of Solomon, are hearing wisdom on how they ought to behave nationally and internationally. They ought to be those who acknowledge God's place in Israel. They ought to be those when they find themselves in a banqueting house, don't give themselves to greedy eating or excess drinking. They ought to be those who are impervious to sexual temptation. They ought to be those who um, are surrounded by wise and godly counselors. They are diligent in the discharge of their duties. They get to the bottom of the issue. They listen to the people. They govern with consensus. They, they win the favor and respect of the people because they've never left them and they've always loved them. Hey, Philip DeCourcy again. I hope that after hearing today's message, you've come to a place where you need to make a personal decision about following the Lord Jesus Christ, that you're ready to make him your Lord and Savior. Perhaps you're feeling burdened and, and, and weary. You're looking for rest. You're wearied by your sin. You're burdened by life apart from God, the giver of life. You've exhausted yourself trying to find peace by yourself apart from Jesus Christ. Well, the good news is you can find rest today. You can have peace with God within yourself. The Bible tells us that we can have peace with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us the very words of Jesus. He said, my peace I give to you not peace like the world gives. He went on to say on another occasion, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. That's good news for the weary soul. Jesus Christ promises you rest and peace. He's the very Prince of Peace himself. If you've got questions about this, we would love to answer those. See, we believe Jesus is the answer. We believe the Bible has the answers, and we're ready to give an answer for the reason of the hope that lies within us. And so give us a call if you've got questions about the Christian faith and how to become a Christian. We'll be more than happy to talk to you. We've got resources we'd like to put into your possession. Just call us at 888-644-8811 or email us at info at ktt.org. If you're ready to make that decision, because you see, today is the day of salvation. Christ is ready to receive you and give you that rest. We would love to pray with you. Please reach out to us. Do it now. Call Know the Truth at 888-644-8811 or be emailing us quickly at info at ktt.org. We're ready to help. We want you to find peace with God, and we want you to find rest in Jesus Christ. I'm going to take an image from Christ himself. We want you to be born again. You can begin a new life today. Please call us.
Yes, such a good word, Philip. Thank you. And friend, if you would like to help us in this work of sharing the gospel with others, give a gift of any amount today. When you do, you'll receive the book, What God Wants Every Dad to Know, The Most Important Principles You Can Teach Your Child. You'll also have an opportunity to send a copy of Philip's encouraging book, Take Cover, to a friend. Just call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. You can also address your envelope to Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. Once again, that's P.O. Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. And if you'd like to stay up to date on all things Know the Truth, be sure to connect with us on social media. Just search for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Well, I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Join us again next time for more timeless wisdom from the book of Proverbs. That'll be next time, right here on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free.